0: You are listening to the Higher Ed Podcast. We uncover the future of higher education, current trends, insights from the sector's brightest, and actionable advice for leaders and executives. Creating impactful universities, well-branded colleges, and best-in-class student experiences. Join us as we redefine the sector one episode at a time.
1: Uh, Welcome back. For another episode of the Higher Ed Podcast, I'm your host, Kamar D. Jarnett. I'm flying solo today, guys. Uh, George was not able to make it, but I do have a phenomenal guest for us today, uh, Dr. Luke Hobson. Really excited to have you on the show, my friend. Um, Could you please introduce yourself to our audience? Just Don't give them the novel. Nice little short story.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me on, Kamar. I'm really excited to be talking to you today about everything instructional design. So as you just mentioned, my name is Dr. Luke Hobson. I'm a program manager for MIT. I've been working in higher education for the last 10 years or so. I've pretty much done it all in higher ed, lab assistant, academic advisor, instructor on campus, instructor online. And eventually I found myself in the instructional design field so that's where I've been for about the last five years or so. So everything that I am doing and also like why I'm on this podcast too, is this a talk about learning, talk about the learning experience, how to make it awesome and how to make it meaningful, not just for instructional designers and teachers and educators, but also for students as well. And that's nice. me in a nutshell.
1: Nice. No, this is beautiful, too, because you know my first love is, you know, kind of physics and engineering. But when I was young, I wasn't focused enough. Uh, so I had to go down, you know, another road.
0: <laughs> hey, man, so, you're, you're speaking to somebody who actually <laughs> failed out of high school. So I hear you. <laughs> I'm right uh, there with okay. you. OK,
1: and now you're, you're teaching at MIT. Extraordinary.
0: <laughs> the world is a very interesting place.
1: <laughs> Indeed. Indeed it is. So. Let me ask you this, because I've seen this a lot, and I've even had a few guests on. You know, when when you talk about you know, instructional design, you know, what is it? You know, what what do you guys actually do?
0: Yeah. So that's, what's so interesting of the fact is that now in 2020, everyone's talking about instructional design and everything you're reading about is like instructional design is the newest, greatest, hottest thing. But if we were to take a step back for a second, instructional design has been around since world war two. So it has a history. It, It just hasn't really had the spotlight before. Right. And to work with subject matter experts, professors, faculty members, trainers, we interview them, we're able to actually extract the knowledge out of their heads to take all this information, to learn more about it ourselves, and then we can put it together to design a course, a program, a training, whatever it is, but not just design this, but to be able to show this transparency to students about the outcomes, about aligning everything to not just the outcomes, but to the skills and to the competencies and what exactly are they going to be taking away once they go through this entire thing. And that is instructional design in a nutshell.
1: Wow. So, so why has it become so popular, you know, to me almost all of a sudden, but, you know, definitely recently?
0: So when you think about what happens and people think of online learning, there is this misconception that online learning basically means that you have readings, videos, quizzes, essays, things of that nature, which have always been like, you know, the it's just been the tried and true ways. But really, it's that's so old-fashioned. There are so many different ways of how to make the online learning experience come alive. And that's where instructional designers are coming into play. And that's why always people need these folks to come into the universities and their colleges, because you need someone who's going to take the online course and actually make it something that is engaging, interactive, and fun and make the students want to partake in the course. And if not, and if it's just something boring and they feel that they're forced into, the chance of the students who are going to be withdrawing, not participating, just stop showing up, that's really relatively high. Or they're going to transfer to another school who's actually figured out online learning and to make it into like a meaningful and robust program. So that's why all this focus is now on instructional designers because they're basically saying, hey, please save education because what we had before didn't work and now we are forced into this model that perhaps we know nothing about, or we need to scale and we need to expand as fast as humanly as possible. The pandemic has made some universities just absolutely grow like by the masses, by the thousands compared to other schools that you're seeing that just closed down because they weren't able to flip the script fast enough, and now they're out of business. So that's why they're so needed at this point in time.
1: No, no that makes sense. It's, I don't know if you're familiar with Alex Friedman. I think he does an artificial intelligence podcast. He's an MIT student, grad, and um, he's the one that kind of put me, you know, I'm in a Tesla now and innovation, like all of these things have kind of pushed me into studying these things. So when you start to talk the way you're talking, it makes me think that this is almost engineering for higher ed and the curriculum, right? How do I get you engaged? How do I, you know, make a person really get excited about choosing our school, our curriculum, and how we deliver Um, you know, education, especially during this pandemic, which now the remote part, the online part, the virtual part is either going to have you drop a lot of students or it's going to have you um, have a lot of students as, as things become, you know, more competitive and everybody's, you know, basically marketing or trying to educate the exact same student because the world becomes smaller, right? So, I definitely get that. How do you get a job in instructional design? That
0: is such a loaded question. So let me <laughs> <laughs> let me attempt to unpack that because now that's like not only just thinking and you're reading about different things of how instructional design is the latest, greatest, hottest, whatever. Well, then, of course, comes the next question of like, well, then how do I get into the field? And the funniest thing, too, is that there are so many folks in instructional design right now who we never planned on being instructional designers. Like my background is in graphic design. That's my BA. I had no intention, as I mentioned before, I did awful in high school and like my, my education was just like a train wreck. So I had no intention of going into higher ed until later on in my career where I fell in love with academia that went back to get my PhD and, and so on and so forth. And eventually it kind of took care of itself. But there are many different roles right now in this instructional design field where people naturally just assume they have to go back to school. Now, that's not always the best way to actually go about doing this. I know plenty of people who went back to school to get a master's in instructional design and technology. And then once they graduated, they realized that they actually don't have the real world skills in order to get the job. They just spent two years talking about learning theory, which is very important to know how people learn and how to design around that. But there are a whole bunch of our roles that focus on things such as with project management, relationship management. How do you actually work with people to negotiate, to influence, and to persuade in order to really develop the very best course can possibly be? That's not taught in master's degrees. And there are maybe there are some, I won't say all, it's a very blanket answer, but there are plenty that don't cover those types of things. So if going back to school isn't the answer, then what is going to be the next course of action to take? And there are many different types of organizations that started to come up offering certificates and badges and smaller programs to focus more on the actual skills themselves instead of just trying to make somebody go back to school for four or two years. And that's been really interesting because now you have people who are learning about assessment items, who are thinking more about the learning experience, thinking more about how do you interview SMEs and whatnot, and then that is going to become such a better way to focus to apply to a job because now you're going to have more of a real world sense of if you are inside of these interviews. How are you going to be answering the questions? You're not just gonna be talking about learning theory for two hours. You're gonna to have to really have to dive in deep and show your value and what you can bring to the table. So that's a part of an answer. I could keep talking, but I know I'm gonna go off like 20 minutes, <laughs> so I'll stop there.
1: You no, know, this, this this is really interesting though, because I'm I'm a big Elon Musk fan, as you'll be able to tell. But he just you know said something in terms of you know, people, you know, great companies putting the you know, people with MBAs in these positions as opposed to a person, you know, kind of being in the trenches, you know, maybe learning it and then being able to actually do it. So you it seemed like you kind of harped on or touched on that a little bit. Theory is one part of it, but, you know, you also have to have to have to be able to be practical with it as well.
0: So going off of that, one of the reasons for why. I became how I got to where I am today I was an academic advisor for about three and a half years for an online university and what that meant is that every single day I was literally on the phone or emailing students and just talking to them and learning more about their learning process. What have they gone through? What are the challenges? What are the struggles? How can I reduce some of the barriers that they're going through? And that made me become a better designer because now as I'm designing these programs, I'm thinking about these students. I was essentially doing storyboarding and making profiles of people of who will be taking my courses before I even understood what that meant. It was just more of the fact that from years of experience, I talked to students. Eventually I got into teaching and I was just like, oh, I know these students. So if I'm going to be designing a course that would say focused on, you mentioned MBA. So if we're designing a course that focus on you know, leadership or uh, organizational leadership or something along those lines, well, then I can think back to all those folks I talked to who were in that position or who wanted to go and become something like a leader in an organization, what type of skills would they need for that role? Whether it's hard skills or human skills or whatever it is, I can start to think about that in a more realistic sense instead of just... Kind of spitting out jargon and hoping that I'm mentioning the right terminology that the hiring manager might be looking for. So, having that hands on practical skill set right. was so helpful in order to get to where I am today.
1: Sure. And of course, you know, Elon was like, Look, like people are trying to take this like I want to beat up on MBAs. He's like, That's not what I'm trying to do. But he was like, You can't keep having these people parachute in to a company. Organization without, you know, I think in the military there's a term they use called ground truth. Like, you know, it's one thing with your thirty thousand foot view. It's another thing when we're all on the floor. Like, champ, that won't work. Like, like, trust me, it it really won't work. I know I worked for a company and they had um changed the financial aid process, and the COO was saying that he literally thought that everybody would be able to do this on their own and it would go off without a hitch. And I'm like, coach. I just was in here on a Saturday with this guy and he was trapped in the office for four hours and couldn't use the system. And it was so bad that he logged into someone else's email that he doesn't even know who the person was. Like if you can imagine entering a username and you're trying passwords and trying passwords and bloom, it's Dr. Kumar. (laughs) And you're like, oh, this is not my email at all. But that was because, like you said, they had no ground truth. They had no experience in what was on the ground so that that just that theory part of it wasn't enough to make it complete.
0: Whenever somebody tells me going off of that, that they're like, oh, I want to get into instructional design. Well, the first thing I say is like, awesome. Let's talk about you trying to design a course on your own and just seeing what happens and learning about the process, using the templates, using the guides, finding someone who can be like your subject matter expert that you can interview and can work with and build around those things. And I remember I was I was talking with someone the other day and I was showing him about how like we have maps, we have all these different tools that we use as instructional designers. And one of them is called the course map where essentially you are outlining all of the different steps of a learning process and what's taking place and where within the course. And he didn't think about it like that, where he was just like, wait a minute, like, what are you doing? And I'm, I'm showing him, I was like, well, if we have three videos here in order to really have this information digest for students, I want them to start reading early on at the very beginning. This is applying prior knowledge and I'm allowing them to kind of slowly get into this and acclimate into this process. And then this is going to transition into them watching a video from the video at the end, it's going to have a question and then they're going to be filling out the answer to that an open response assessment item, which then leads back into the video but it's going to talk more about that and then it's going to go into a case study and then we're going to break that down and i was showing like all these bits and pieces of things and i could show as a designer how you could just like move it around like i can take this little block and i can move the video over to the beginning i can take the practice question and move it around and it's more of that of like if you think of a course as almost like you're playing with legos and you're trying to build it up to the whole thing you can either take the manual and build it piece by piece or you can just throw that thing away and try to make it yourself and see what happens, you know? And there's not like there's a right or a wrong, but you need the process of knowing of just how to start and how to take the pieces and how to make a thing. And then you're going to be so much more prepared. And it's just like, you know, instead of saying like, oh, I made a course before. It's like, well, did you? Because like the process is different. (laughs) Yeah, no,
1: absolutely. So what this, I I think this would be a great question for you. I'd love to hear your answer. So with the remote virtual learning how does that design compare to designing online courses?
0: So the remote virtual learning process is almost like I'm, I'm dubbing that as like emergency learning. You had folks that had to go in. They had to take something that was not meant to be online. Then they had to flip that. And without any time or preparation or you know, like anything of a the sort, they're like, oh, my gosh, my course is starting in two weeks. What do I do? You know, and I thought about that before of like, how would I envision if I was an instructor and all of a sudden I have to go and I am just basically forced to at this point? I have to change my course or else nothing is running and, you know, potentially all the bad things are about to happen. And the way that I would do that is that I would start by doing a kind of a modified version. Of what it is that I do. So, if I was to take that course, I would do something where I would think about the course outcomes at the end of the day, because that's always what every single course has. And the main takeaways what are students really learning about? And then from there, I would think about my lectures. Typically, Every teacher and professor I know of, like they have the lectures in their heads. Like they know when they're talking to their class on like Monday and Wednesday, they're going to be covering this material and this material. And it's like, all right, well, then take what you know, what you're going to be talking about, you can break it down into smaller video lessons. And then from there, you can map out your entire week and then eventually your entire semester or whatever you know type of base that you have. And then put things around it where you can then say like, okay, I'm going to have the students now talk about this group conversation once I have this lecture video. And then we're going to recap and then we're going to come back and then we're going to talk about their findings and what they just learned about from sharing their perspectives with their fellow peers. And then you can go and lead into the next type of topic. So it's not so much so that like you are trying to be an instructional designer. You're getting a taste for it. But since you're in this like emergency phase where you're trying as fast as possible to make something click, that's what I would do do which isn't of course like the real ideal way of designing a course you need more time energy resources and whatnot sure. but if i was forced to and had to do it that would be the way that i would flip the course
1: gotcha gotcha so the uh, you know Kind of, you know, in real estate, right, you kind of have different strategies, you know, you can flip properties, you can do rentals, you know, stocks, you can short stocks, you can go long, you can have a dividend play, you know, what are some of, I guess, the learning strategies kind of in your toolbox as you design curriculum? Am I thinking about that
0: right? You, yes, perfect. Perfectly well said. So when I went and I was talking to you before about how like when people envision online courses, they think about a reading, a video and like a multiple choice thing and then like a quiz. That's just what people typically think about. It's a learning strategies element of all that that kind of gets forgotten about along the way. You know, your course is essentially like your piece of art. You can do and design however you want it to do. There are so many different ways you can go about for doing something to make it engaging and involving for the students. So like one of the ways that I love to do do this is that I do a learning strategy that's called scenario-based learning. And I design all my courses to have this where scenario-based learning or SBL, as it's called, is that you are taking a real life, a hypothetical type of a situation, and you are designing a problem all around that where students then have to put themselves in the shoes of this person in this scenario. And then they need to figure out how they're actually going to solve the problem. And you can go as in depth or as crazy as you want with this one because the scenario that you design, it should be relatable. It should be something based on a real world event or something that they're going to be going through in the future for trying to get a job or for perhaps something that they may have encountered before in the past and making them think back to that prior experience and how would they tackle this problem differently now since they've gone through your course and they've learned this brand new type of skill set. So to give you an example of a scenario-based problem that was something that I wasn't uh, planning on, but it kind of just happened the way that the world works, which is like super fun, is that I made this course that talked all about radical innovation, entrepreneurship, business strategies, things of that nature were all inside of this course. Now, in the scenario that I developed, I made it so that students were going through the motions of actually working as an engineer. And this course is for an engineering innovation course, if you will. And inside of here, they worked for a research and development lab. And because of everything that happened with the pandemic, I was telling to them about how the organization is losing money. So therefore, the organization itself has basically told the R&D lab that basically do whatever you can, whatever you can do to make money for us for trying to find a brand new business model, whatever it is, do your research, do your homework, give it a shot, see what happens and then report back to us the experience, the findings and what you learned. So I designed a problem based all around that. Then come to find out, like, you know, a couple months later, all of a sudden, this is very early pandemic, by the way. So we didn't really know the extent of like what's going to happen here with the world. And then all of a sudden come to find out that every single organization is looking at their business strategy being like, what are we doing? There's no more physical things. So now you started to see a whole bunch of organizations switch over to monthly subscription models or membership models or doing all these different things like Hulu Plus. Uh, Disney and you know things of that nature. And then you had some organizations who've been around for forever, but they have never encountered this before. So like, for instance, think of Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola, their main revenue actually comes from live events. Like 70% of their revenue comes from live events. Now there are no more live events. What do you do? Well, that's basically what was in the scenario I was telling students was be <laughs> innovative and figure something out. And sure enough, in the real world, that's what happened. And when the students took this course and i do interviews with these students and i'd be able to collect uh, data every single week and whatnot i'm always talking to learners to learn more was this realistic was it relevant and the folks i was talking to were like how did you know this is going to be a thing? I was like, I (laughs) didn't know that was going to be a thing. It just, it just happened. But scenario-based learning is like all about that. Is this making them engaging and involved in this? And then when you can do that, students love to learn because now it's fun and now it's innovative. Now I have to think about it. So that is, I need to stop talking or I'm going to keep rambling on about this all day. But that is scenario-based learning and one learning strategy that I absolutely love to use.
1: No, that's beautiful, man. I think it's awesome when, you know, a plan comes together. And especially when students can have, you know, that moment where the wheels start to turn, it clicks, um, I think that's when you get the, you know, the kind of the greatest reward from teaching, right? So to, to piggyback on that, right, scenario for you, right, it's seven years in the future, right? We've just gone through this pandemic, Google and Apple are doing their little six week training programs what does higher ed 2.0 look like and how do the traditional institutions you know continue to you know take higher ed higher and higher and stay relevant if that makes sense
0: so the best thing is that there are so many different things that are coming out right now for strategies that people just like aren't really looking into, but they need to be aware of them because it is absolutely going to change and rock higher ed. I firmly believe that everything is going to become a skills-based approach for going forwards. The idea and the motion of that you need to go to school for four or six years for something and you have to learn about all these things that aren't relevant to your world in any shape, way, or form to me is this mind-boggling. And it's the reason why we have so much student debt and we're never going to get out of this thing. But that is besides the point. Unless, of course, once again, unless if you are, you know, doing a skill that is extremely, um, you know, think of like a medical degree or something, then like, okay, like I won't, I won't touch that one. That's fine. But for more common types of things of that nature, I really do think that what's going to happen and not even just seven years, it could be a few years from now. Like we have done courses before where we remove the discussion boards from courses and instead met the learners where they're at. So they're like, we don't use discussion boards. I'm like, all right, so if I embed Slack in the course, are you going to use it? And they're like, yeah, because I have Slack on my phone. I'm like, all right, good. So that's all I'm going to do. So in order for me to meet the learner where they were, and so I started to do. So I was like, hey, you need to download this Slack app if you don't have it already. This is how you're going to be doing your assignments from now on. And what I'm starting to see and to hear and research more about is how we have so many folks who are starting to do all of the assignments via just texting. Like, that's the thing. You can do everything just by your phone. So think of it like this way. Imagine yourself and you were going to school and you're going for, we'll stick with the uh, MBA Type of a topic. So you're going to school for an MBA and then what's going to happen is that you're going to get your text on Monday morning, The text is going to give you an assignment and it's going to have something that focuses on a certain type of skill. So imagine it being a public speaking skill, if you will. And folks for this Monday are going to be receiving this text that talks about how you need to become more confident in your public speaking skills. The next meeting that you're going to have, you have to actually raise your hand and voice your concerns about something. And then once you do this, you need to respond back in the text and tell us what you did and how it went. So we're going to have someone hypothetically get this text, go into their meeting, try to do and act on this new way, learn about this experience, write about it like a journal, and then send it back. And then the next text would come in, that would be them building upon that skill and trying to say, perhaps um, give some guidance and some feedback depending upon what the answer was. And then they can keep on going and building that way. That's right. where I think things are going. You're always going to have some traditional places because that's what people like is the actual campus and the buildings. And don't get me wrong, it very much feels like home whenever I step on campus. But for somebody who that's not what they need or want at the time, they, like they already have the job. They're just trying to advance and get a promotion or do something better or perhaps transition to another uh, type of field. Why not? Why not have something that's literally in, like meet the learners where they are, actually put it in their hands in a mobile device and allow them to learn that way. What's the problem? I don't see your problem.
1: <laughs> Interesting. That's like it's like learning on the go. Like we're in a microwave society as it is. So you you're literally saying meet them wherever they are and let them correspond in whatever way they need to to get the information.
0: Exactly. exactly. Yeah, I
1: mean you've probably nailed it. Um
0: there you go. I fixed higher education <laughs> just with my one rant. <laughs> yes, yes.
1: Listen. Dr. Hobson, you've been a great guest. As much as I would love to go longer, my daughter is not going to let me. (laughs) I don't know if you heard her in the background a little bit, but she's only two. She doesn't get it when she comes home. She wants daddy all to herself. So (laughs) I got to let you go, my friend. But I'd love to um, maybe get you back in the future. Um, Appreciate your time. Um, phenomenal guest I, I, I'm sad George missed this one This was a
0: great one uh, George missed out How dare you sir <laughs> No I'm just kidding But no thank you so much For having me on Kamar And if anyone wants to know More about me Or where to find me You can just google Dr. Blue Thompson, And I pop up And if you don't put The doctor in front of my name You get a zombie actor From England So just <laughs> FYI That's not me Nice
1: <laughs> Alright my friend You take care Have a great weekend
0: Thank, it's been you. All- thank you You too Bye bye For listening to the Higher Ed Podcast. This episode was brought to you in part by Engine Systems and Chief Digital Marketers. For more information on topics discussed, you can visit engine.systems or chiefdigitalmarketers.com. Join us next week and every week after for more innovative and actionable advice.